So, let's start. Teriyasi, you're going first. Tell me what Romans chapter 1 is about. Hi, Blossom. Everybody's oh taking their notes now. <laughs> Real quick. You don't have to say anything elaborate. Just very straight to the point. What is Romans chapter 1 about? You're muted, though. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Romans chapter 1 is about... <laughs> I know it was about... Um, this... Okay, I'll give you time. I'll give you some time. Mimi, Romans chapter 2. Do you remember what's there? Just one thing that you remember from Romans chapter 2. You should not make me look like a bad teacher. Okay. Ruth, Romans chapter 3. Anything? Make sure you check if you are muted. You might be muted and you're saying something. Hmm. Oh, wow. Today, all the mics are not working. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord, everyone. Um, I just want to correct um, I think Romans chapter 3 talks about righteousness that comes from, you know, um, having a Righteousness that comes from faith, mm-hmm. yes, and not necessarily what we do. So it's it's broke down the righteousness by telling us, um, it, like discussing about Abraham's righteousness. How um, although mm. he was not, is it circumcised now? Not circumcised, and no, okay. no, no, he was not circumcised, but he was he was considered righteous because he believed in God. Mm. I don't know if I made the right. You well. you were you were starting off very well. But then you enter chapter four, and now I'm going to. I was going to ask Victoria okay. to show me chapter four. So I'm so okay. going to do that. Victoria, okay. what, what is in chapter four? Me? Yes, um, yes, you. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Uh, I think, like she said, uh, it's like using like Abraham and David as examples of people. Um, uh, put their faith in Christ like they were not necessarily uh, perfect but they had faith in Christ and he was using them as an example like God declared them righteous because of their faith not necessarily necessarily because of their work or because they were Jews or circumcised I thank think. you that's perfect um, yeah I, I I really want you I really want you to be able to do this um better all right I, I want to be able to ask you next time and you're not thinking about it all right so let me give let me give Teresi another shot. I know she has checked it, but if you now if you now don't get it, <laughs> huh? <laughs> um, chapter one is um. I know he was introducing um. He was introducing the gospel and telling them what the gospel is about. I know he said chapter one is about the um Jesus statement, verse sixteen seventeen. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the power of God unto salvation. And there's a five one who believes the Jews, first the Jews, then the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So All right. I think that's yeah. Good job. Well done. <laughs> that's the first part. So what she was saying, in case you didn't hear, is that in you can get the thesis statement of the whole book of Romans in chapter one. So that's what she was trying to say. And that's where it starts, uh, verse 16 and 17. Hi Lola, they're good to see you. Um so I'm not going to waste time because we have so much to cover and um, I'm preparing your mind because next week we'll be entering 
uh, Romans chapter 6, and I would like everyone, before you come, to have read it. Can you guys give me that promise? I want you to read Romans 6 as an assignment before you come. So when you come here, it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, so please give me that promise. Make sure you do it. It's, it's going to bless you a lot. All right, so I'm going to share my screen right now. Um, and we'll jump into Romans chapter 5. So we've come a long way. We've seen... Um, the, all the different kinds of people, and ultimately, everyone is under sin. No one is guiltless before God. Everyone deserves punishment. But God, in his mercy and his grace, decided to do something about it. And that's what Romans 3 comes in to do. It says that God became, gave Jesus as a propitiation for our sins. And so God basically brought someone to take the punishment that we justly deserve and put it upon Jesus. And so because Jesus bore the punishment god is just he has fulfilled his justice and by doing that we have now been let go not unjustly but because someone has paid the fine the whole story is you are a prisoner all right and you're standing in front of a judge and he looks at your record and he sees wow you've done so many bad things and the judge says what do you deserve and based on everything that he sees on the record you stole you lied you, you cheated, you did all these things. And so he looks at it and says, well, I'm a just judge, so I'm supposed to punish. So what do I do? I have to punish because if I don't punish you, all the people you stole from, all the people you cheated, all the people you lied to, you know, they're going to just, would that be true justice for them? It won't be. So God has to be a just judge. So imagine that judge is about to pronounce your sentence and, you know, call you justly fall them if you know basically to give you what you deserve and then someone comes in and says um judge one moment i want to take his place and the judge looks at that person's record and sees it's spotless he hasn't done anything why are you taking his place well i love him and i want to take his place i want to take the punishment he deserves and so this man takes the place of that prisoner the prisoner steps away from the stage and basically the judge writes all the things that that other person did on this person's account and says you are judged and the person who came to replace that one gets the sentence and you go scot-free that's the picture of the gospel that's exactly what paul has been trying to describe but one missing piece is is not automatic faith is the key you have to believe in what christ has done in what this replacement has done what this substitute has done. The example I gave is not the most perfect example there exists, but it does give you an idea of what it looks like. God is a judge, all right? So he must judge and his justice must be perfect because he's God. He's, 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 the, he's the peak of everything moral excellence. Everything you want to think of as perfection is God. So he has to be just. And so it's a blessing for us that Someone took our place. Now, we looked at it last week. We realized that it's not just automatic um, and it does not require any work on your part. It requires faith in what God did in Christ. That's why Abraham could qualify because Abraham looked at what God was planning to do and he believed God. And he says he's our father because of that. So that's a summary of everything we've seen so far. And then we're about to get into one of the most beautiful chapters in the whole of the Bible. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. And I hope you will see it as well. 
So let me just put it up on the screen and I'll pray again because I need God's help here. <sighs> Father, we are ready to learn from your word. Let it open up to us in a new way. Help us to see the beauty of your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So let's get into it. Romans chapter 5 from verse 1. That's how he starts. He says, therefore, and if you know what therefore means, when you see therefore, I've said this, I've made this joke a lot of times. Whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask, what is it there for? All right. <laughs> and it's there for a reason. He has just explained something beautiful in a few verses before now. So he's referencing that. And so we have to know what he was saying. So that's in verse 23 to verse 25 of chapter 4. He was talking about how God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. So in Abraham's case, his faith equals righteousness. So when God sees his faith, God sees righteousness. Does that make sense? God declares him righteous because of his faith. So he says, now it was written for his, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. All right, so he's talking about the beautiful thing. Jesus took our place and we will be imputed righteousness because we believe. So he now says, therefore, and that's where chapter five comes in. So let's read together. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse two says, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I might stay here for a while. See, if there's any part of your Bible that should be marked, highlighted, underlined, if you have, a, if you have an iPad right now, scratch it, you know, write, underline it very hard. And if you scroll up and it scrolls up again, underline it again. Like this is something you must not forget for any reason. Verse, five, verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 5. But I want to break it down for you so you understand what he's saying. He just told us the beautiful gospel that God imputes righteousness to us without working for it. If you worked for something and you got it, then you deserved it. But what God gave to us was something we did not deserve. And if you're just hearing me talk on this for the very first time, you need to realize that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God clears your record because he judged it. He didn't just clear it because, oh, I just feel like clearing it and I'm, I'm just clearing it. No, God has to remain just. He has to punish sin. He cannot let any sin go unpunished. But you have sin in you and you will sin tomorrow, very likely. And God knows your propensity. God knows all those things. So what is God going to do if he wants to still have a relationship with you? He has to punish sin. But he wants to keep you alive. He wants to show mercy. How can God be just and merciful at the same time? It's, it's, it's a logical impossibility. That's where Jesus comes in. Let me paint the picture for you. Justice is defined as giving someone what they deserve, right? Mercy is just the opposite. Giving someone something they don't deserve. So someone cheated you and you still give that person your kindness. That's mercy. He doesn't deserve it. He deserves to be, you know, punished. But how does God do those things? How can God be just, which is to give you the justice you deserve, and also be merciful, which is to give you what you don't deserve? 
That's where Jesus comes in. And so Jesus takes your punishment upon himself. So God has fulfilled his justice, right? He has poured out his wrath. His wrath is still there, but he has poured it. It has been spent on Jesus, which was why he was crucified. And then at the same time, God can legally dismiss your case because someone has paid the fine. If Toyosi was owing me $5,000, just imagine that scenario. Toyosi was owing me $5,000 and somebody else comes and says, oh, don't worry, I'm going to pay Toyosi's debt. And she pays $5,000. Should I ask Toyosi for $5,000 again? Why not? I mean, she's owing me $5,000, right? But it doesn't make sense. Why? Because someone has paid. That's the idea of propitiation. Someone has paid for it. The debt has been canceled. The wrath of God has been satisfied. Justice has been met. So God can legally dismiss your case. But it's a different case if Toya C comes to me and says, you know, or let me put it this way. I'm, I'm picking on Toya C today. I don't know why. And she, let's say she's owing me $5,000. And somebody comes and says, oh, I'm going to pay the $5,000. And then Toya C says, I don't want. Am I still right to ask Toya C to pay me? Of course. Why not? Why, why, why should I? Because the debt has not been paid. She didn't accept it. That's the imagery of someone who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and says, no, God cannot force it on you. And that's why the key thing is faith. The, the word faith is just a simple way of saying believe. In fact, the noun of believing is faith or the noun of to believe is faith or belief, whatever you call it. So he starts, he starts the exam. He's, 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 um, he brings us back to all he has been saying in Romans chapter 1 from verse 16 to 17, that um, he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to all them that believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, right? So he's about to break that down now. He's, he's told us how bad our situation is and then how God stepped in. And then he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Oh, this is powerful. So how are we justified? What does justified mean? I give an example. Who remembers how I explained justified before? I, I kind of spelled it out and said something else. Who remembers? I mean, it's been a while. But I said justified can be explained as just as if I had never sinned. Who remembers that illustration? Well, I don't know. I can't see faces anymore because I'm sharing my screen. But yeah, just as if I had never sinned. So in, in other words, God declares you guiltless. He can call things that be not as though they were. So he sees that you have sinned. Or, ha or habits or weaknesses, but yet God declares you righteous. That's mind-blowing. That's something the Jew cannot understand. They had a bunch of laws to fulfill, and someone comes in and says, oh, you just have to believe in Jesus. Wow. So he says, having been justified, how? By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This part is a part I want to pause again, because the realization that you didn't have peace with God is very important. When you got saved, what happened is that the rift that separated you from God spiritually was removed and now you have unity with God again. You have peace with him. Like you can approach him. He's your father. Before now, the wrath of God was upon you. Who remembers Romans chapter 1 from verse 18? Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 says, the wrath of God is 
displayed upon all ungodliness and all, you know, wickedness of men. So the wrath of God is a real thing. God does get angry, and rightly so. He should be angry with sin and every everything done. For anyone here who is on this call, you know, that for some reason you 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 grew up in a in an abusive house or home or you you've experienced something very bad that you can't even share with anybody else i can tell you for a fact that god's wrath is real it's upon all ungodliness and all everything that has been done to you god's wrath is upon that thing that's you want that to be the case because a lot of people are like you know God, they just want God to look like a Father Christmas or a Santa Claus that is just all nice and giving gifts to everybody. You don't want that to be your God. You want a God that says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. He has to be that kind of God that loves and hates. He has to hate evil. I mean, if God forbid, just a scenario, I'm at home, I'm married, I have kids, my wife and my kids, they're at home. And an armed robber comes to my house and wants to rape my wife and kill my children. What is my response? What should be my just response? I, at that point, I should forget everything I know about the law and focus on protecting my family. If I get a gun and I shoot that criminal, everybody in the news will be praising me. Why? I killed someone. <laughs> Are you listening? This is a context situation. I killed someone, but I protected my family. And that was the right ideal thing to do. And some people don't understand the justice of God. They wonder when they read the Old Testament, why did God wipe out, you know, all these nations and all of that? You need to read their story. Groups of people that were basically sacrificing their born children, they will put their children on, on, on altars and sacrifice it to their gods. And you're saying God should not end those kind of people. <laughs> but I think it's because we've grown to have a very weak view of God. We've been... They, I don't use this word, but they've made God into like, there's a sissified image of Jesus that the world has. I'm lowly and meek and mild. And he is. But this same Jesus, do you know that he's the one that would judge at the end? The living and the dead. He's the same Jesus. His eyes were like fire. Read Revelation. So we're not dealing with someone who doesn't, you know, he's a powerful God. Praise the name of Jesus. And so the fact that we have peace with him is something to celebrate. That he is not looking at us and pointing out judgment on us, which we rightfully deserve. But he's giving us, he's saying, come, you are my son, you're my daughter again. Come, I want to have fellowship with you. So when he says, because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Not through Muhammad, not through any other form, not through the law, not through your performance, but through Jesus Christ. The reason you have peace with God is because you came through Jesus. Outside of Jesus, there is no salvation. Outside of Jesus, there is no peace with God. Notice it doesn't just say you have peace. It says you have peace with God, meaning a restored relationship. And then it says through whom, that's Jesus, through whom also we have access by faith. He's still recounting and reestablishing this point. It is through faith we have access into this grace. What is grace? Grace is something you don't deserve. You do not merit it. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. God gives it freely. But by faith, we have access to this grace. And I told you last week, if you remember, faith appropriates everything God has provided by grace. I want to say it again because it will answer a lot of questions some people have had. Listen carefully. 
Faith appropriates everything God has provided by grace. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. I heard the story of a woman who, you know, very popular story. She had been praying to God for a husband and she loved Kenneth Copeland and Gloria Copeland. Like she followed their ministry. And <laughs> the funny story, I don't even know how to tell it. And so this woman says, oh, she looks at the word of God. And she says, I can ask anything I want and to be granted to me, right? So she reads Mark eleven twenty four. She's reading all the scriptures. She's so stirred up in her heart. It's like, yes. And so she starts praying for Kenneth Copeland to be her husband. She prays, she fasts. She's, she's doing like a lot of, you know. Now, for those of you who don't know Kenneth Copeland, he's already married. He's a pastor and he, and he has a wife. And this woman just comes and is praying and praying. Question, is she is God going to answer her prayer? Because she's praying. She's praying Mark eleven twenty four. She's praying. Anything, ask anything. Pray that this mountain will be moved and be cast into but don't doubt in your heart, you'll receive, right? And many of us may find that story funny, but many of us may be doing the same thing. You know, she's praying and miss, thank you. You cannot get anything that God has not provided by grace. So that's why I said faith appropriates. Only what God has provided by grace. So if you're asking something for, for um, asking God for something that He has not provided for you in His Word, don't expect to get it. So a lot of people who are praying, you know, fall down and die for their enemies. And this is no disrespect to anyone. But my question is, if God were to punish all the enemies, hmm, remove grace, so remove Jesus, you are one of those enemies of God. I hope you don't, do you realize that when you really understand what the Bible teaches about all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God, everyone is guilty. The only thing that makes you different from the unbeliever is your faith in Jesus. But we do some things that are just crazy. Like we pray for things that are not in God's will and we are wondering why God is not doing anything. It's because your, your faith only appropriate to what God has provided by grace. So you have to first find out what God has provided by grace and then you can say, okay, okay. So because God has provided this, and what, what has he provided by grace? First of all, salvation. So by faith, you can appropriate it. That's the real context. But every other thing, like healing, is it provided in the grace of God? Absolutely. Provision is in the grace of God. Absolutely. Your faith can appropriate that. Your faith you can say, Lord, I desire and I trust you and I know that I can receive this. You know, that's that's how we ought to understand this. So I just wanted to share that because some people are wondering, like, if I, I'm if I'm drawbars get together and they pray, want to rob this house, <laughs> you know that that prayer is not going to be answered. Now, if, it, if they end up robbing the house, it's just because we live in a fallen world that has bad systems, no security, and the evil, evil hearts of men. So it has nothing to do with God at that point. All right, but let's go on before I sleep on just two verses today, which I have the ability to if I want to. But it says we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we are not shaky on this grace. We stand in it. It's so important that you grasp this. Um, a lot of people think that Christianity or salvation is like a subscription plan. So they wake up every morning and they renew their salvation. So in their minds, they don't think salvation is something that they've received, that they have a new life. In fact, the metaphors the Bible uses to explain salvation should not be mistaken. It says you are a new creation. 
how do you change that? A heart, your heart has been changed. He has given you a heart of flesh. How do you change that? He calls you born again. How do you go back to your mother's womb? You get like the terms that I used to talk about you being saved are so definitive. He says he has put the seal of the Holy Spirit. What is a seal? A permanent stamp. You have been circumcised by the Spirit. What is circumcision? Can you go and uncircumcise yourself? There's so many symbolisms in the scriptures that make it very clear that what God has decided to do, he's committed to doing it to the very end. And so Christians don't know this. And so they are always like shaky about their faith. But no, God wants to remind you, you have peace with him. Why? Because you did right yesterday. No, because you are living a very perfect life today. No, because you, you were justified by faith. And this is not an excuse. That's why I said, go and read Romans 6. Because we're going to bring the balance. Because Romans 5 is like, what? You read Romans 5 and you just feel like you're above, you're over the moon. Or what's that song? I, 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 I feel. You just read this scripture and you're like, ah. And then Paul's like, oh, yeah, wait. Shall we continue to sin that grace should abound? And you only understand why he's telling you that in the context of how beautiful and how grand God's grace is. Like the fact that God will not judge you based on the things you've done or are doing now or will possibly do in the future, but is basing his judgment and his decision and his life with you and his relationship with you on what you believe about Jesus. That's mind blowing. And so as long as you consistently put your faith and trust in Jesus, God is committed in his part to keep you, to finish the work he started in you. All you have in your hand is faith. And so he says we stand in that faith. We have access to God into the grace that he has given to us. And we stand there. And no, we don't just stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So a Christian is not someone who hears Jesus is coming soon and they are sweating. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus should not come. I remember I was talking to someone and the person made a joke that ah, Jesus should not come yet. Though. I still have this, 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 this. And then the other person was like, ah. It's not even about all these things I have to do. If Jesus comes now, I don't know where I'm going. So Jesus should just wait for me. And that's not how a Christian should talk. A Christian should rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Meaning, do you know what it means to hope for the glory of God? The glory of God in this context is the revelation of Jesus. The fact that he's coming back. The Christian should live a consistent life of hope. Like, ah, Jesus is coming again. I can't wait. And you may, the only thing that should make you feel like, oh, I'm not ready is maybe because you just know you have so much to do. There are many people that are not saved like you that need to hear the gospel. But it's not you. You're not worried about yourself. At the trump of God, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. Then us who are here will meet him in the air. So you, are, you, are, you, are, you have that guarantee, that assurance. As long as the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the hope. You should rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So don't be that Christian who is like, you know, not sure what God has promised. Like, in fact, Hebrews would tell you that he, God swore an oath. He, he, he was trying to swear. Normally, people want to swear. They swear by their mother's name. But who, is, who will God swear by? Who is bigger than God? So Hebrews 6 says, because there was none bigger than him, he swore by his own name. Meaning, he just wanted to prove a point that the, my promise to you will stand. That's the God we serve. So when it comes to salvation, when it comes to how God sees you, that doesn't change. Your feelings can change. 
and they will change. There are some days you wake up, you feel like the worst individual in the whole world. How can God love me? That's when you grab the word of God. God calls me justified. He calls me righteous. He says, by faith in his name, I am, I am declared righteous. That is who I am. I stand righteous. What he did, nothing can undo. That's the mindset of the believer. Hallelujah. But then he, he tells us something that should really like, you know, shock us because everything is sounding up now. But then he says, not only that, we also have glory in tribulations. Uh-oh. I thought everything was up, upbeat and happy. But Paul is trying to call your attention to something. So this is Romans 5 from verse 3 to verse 5. And I'm going to read it real quick and then break it down. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by... (laughs) By the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Oh, you have to break this thing down to really, really, really enjoy what is here. We just saw the beauty of the access we have to God by faith. And then he says, we don't just rejoice in that. We also rejoice when things are difficult. This is very, very important. Do you know the Greek word for tribulation here? I don't want to be throwing out too much Greek. I'll just explain what it is. It is stress, stress-filled situations, for a better, for a lack of a better term, stress-filled situations. In fact, the the Greek word is what they used to describe how in the past they used to punish um, some people and kill them. And the way they would do it is they would put a a flat wood on them, and they would load that criminal with heavy stones and just keep putting it on him until he cannot suffocate um sorry until he cannot breathe anymore and so he starts to suffocate and his heart is like choking and he cannot breathe and that picture of distress placed on his on his chest is the is the is the nearest to that Greek word that that is translated tribulations so the idea is stress that is really the idea so he's saying that there are situations in your life, and a lot of Christians want to just have everything else without going through this, but the Christian life will be riddled with tribulations. It's something you cannot escape. In fact, do you realize that even if you were not a Christian, you still have tribulations? Do you realize that? It's not unique to the Christian. The only unique thing here is what happens through those tribulations. So when we have tribulations, because our trust and our faith is in Christ, guess what it does? We read further. It says, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. What's perseverance? Endurance. What we prayed about today in cardio. It produces perseverance. And then perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. It's powerful stuff. So if you don't, if you pray for God to not bring tribulations your way, guess what you will not experience? You will not experience perseverance. You will not experience building of character. Many of you are where you are because of the tribulations you've passed through. You might, at that point, it was bad. You went through things. You thought God did not care. God did not see you. Now, don't think God was the one that made people do what he did to you. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that because we live in a fallen world, you will have tribulations. Jesus said it. In this world, you will have tribulations. 
Then he says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That overcoming of the world was something they will see eventually, not there and then. Let me explain that. When he says, I have overcome the world, Jesus still died. <laughs> so he was talking about a future event. The fact that his victory now will be evident for all to see. The manifestation of the, of the sons of God will come. Everyone will see that God is truly God. He is king of all and everything will be established. All right. So the whole idea is God allows tribulations and trials and difficult situations in your life because it will produce perseverance. It will help you stay strong because every, every tribulation you experience and come out from strengthens you for the next tribulation. Do you realize that? You are strengthened. You are you're like, I've been through that. I can, I can hope. I can press on. I can persevere. And then perseverance, what does it do in you? It weeds out all the inconsistencies in your life. Trust me, eh? the people that are the most holy, you can take my word to the bank. The people you look at and say, these people are the most holy people. Like, wow. They have such a, a distinct life. Check their story. Check their story. Check check the things they've been through. I, I've been reading this book, In and Out, uh, Water from a Deep Well, History of the Christian Martyrs, people who have died, people who are like really early in the Christian faith, you know, Polycarp, um, Tertullian, all these people. And you see the things they went through. Think Difficult situations, people that were, in fact, all the disciples of Jesus, all of them, with the exception of John, died a gruesome death. How many of you know Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's a book that compiles, that just talks about how the disciples died. And I was like, oh my God, every single one that followed Jesus suffered. So anyone who comes and preaches to you and tells you as a Christian, you should not suffer or things should not be going wrong in your life. I don't know where they are getting it from. <laughs> I don't know where they are getting it from. Yeah, John, John was thrown in, in, into boiling oil. According to Fox's books of, book of matters, um, he didn't die. According to the book, he came out and they didn't know what to do with him, you know, <laughs> and he was the only one that was spared. And I think it aligns with something Jesus said in John 20 at the end of John, you know, where he was like, will you be, um, do you love my, do you love me? And then, you know, Peter says, I love, is it John? Was it Peter or John? It was Peter. Do you love me? Say, I love you. Jesus said, you love me, feed my sheep. And then finally, he asked again, and then Peter is like, you know, you know best. And then, you know, he tells him a lot of things that will happen. He tells him how he was going to suffer. And then, you know, Peter says, what of John? <laughs> you know, some of us are like that. Like, what will happen to this other person? They've told you your own story. You want know to do I'm a boy here. And then Jesus said, what is your own to know what I want to do with him? And I think that's basically why Jesus, like, you know, allowed John to not, to not die. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's what allowed him to write the book of Revelation. I don't know. I'm, this is just me based on my study, what, I'm, what I've seen. But the fact is every single one of them experienced persecution, tribulation. And tribulation here is not persecution. It's a form of persecution. Um, persecution is a form of tribulation. But some tribulations can just be difficulties in your home it could be you know problems at work it could be people hating on you it could be anything 
But just know that God's word is true. If you are in Christ, those things will produce things that are good in you. They will help you persevere. It will build character and it will build hope. And that hope will not disappoint you. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seal, the confirmation that everything that happens to you, regardless of whatever happens, God loves you. And that's what it means when he says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So there's, a, there's a, an assurance, a healthy, powerful assurance that no matter what comes my way, I'll make it through. There's a song like that. Uh, no matter what may come my way, my life is in your hands. Beautiful song. You know, it, it's powerful and it's true. And I think it's something that every Christian should should hold on to. Remind yourself that God is not outside. In your suffering, he's there. He's seeing everything. He's not causing everything, but he's there. And if he knows in his infinite wisdom that you... The Bible says he will not let anything beyond your ability come to you. It's, nev- it's never going to happen. It's always something you can get through. God is not a, 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 an evil ta- ta- taskmaster that will say, ah, this thing will destroy you, so let me bring it. No. He will, he will restrain evil to a certain degree, but he will help you with what you can handle. So it, it's about time you just re- respond to God fully. Some of you, there was a time I was praying a prayer, and some of you think I'm stupid, but I, I really wanted it. I was like, God, I, I was reading this scripture. I was reading J- um, James that said the same thing, that, you know, um, you know blessed are you when you go through many trials for the trying of your faith works patience and all these good things say you should count it all joy when you go through diverse temptations and i was like count it all joy and then i saw how like it is true tribulation and true difficult situations that you actually grow in your faith so i was like ah, god why am i not suffering what's going on because I, <laughs> it was weird but i was really concerned like i don't think i've gone through any difficult situation per se it's just Oh, but this exam was tough. I read and I passed. Or, you know, nothing very, very, like, shaking of my faith, you know. But then I thought again and I said, ah, Lord, maybe you have been teaching me and I don't need to go through those things. So please. (laughs) But I mean, it's a conversation with God. So I want you to be that way. If God desires to build you, let him do it the way he wants to. Let him do it the way he wants to. He's your father. He's your father. He will let you. It's just the same way your dad, who is teaching you how to ride a bike, has to leave you so you can ride. He's not just going to hold the bike all, all through till you are 17, 20, 25. No. At a point, he's going to leave you and you start riding and you're like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm riding. Daddy, see, I'm riding. That's what God does for many of us. He will hold you at the beginning. But when he sees that, yeah, you should be mature by now. He will let you go through difficult situations. And help you figure it out. He will let you. And that's an act of love. And that act of love is shown in the fact that, first of all, he has given us his Holy Spirit. And that love has been poured abroad in our hearts. Praise God. And then we see him flow on and talk about how what Jesus did is so profound. He says, for scarcely, verse 7, for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
So he was not even waiting for us to be perfect. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. What is he saying here? He's saying when we were not even looking in God's direction, God acted on our behalf. How much more now that we have been justified and we received his gift, how much more will we be saved? This is meant to be an assurance verse for you that before now, God went all out to save me. Now that I've received it, why would God push me away? He said, no, we'll be saved from wrath through him. Hallelujah. This is beautiful stuff. And then you just see this, this it just gets better. He says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, same, same wording, same analogy, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It is Jesus that brought us back to the Father. So he says, therefore, this is where you need to pay attention. Therefore, just as through one man, Sin entered the world. Who is that one man? Adam. Adam was the first man God created. And I'm saying Adam just so that there's a mental distinction between Adam. It's the same spelling, same name. But when I say Adam, I'm referring to the first man. Mankind. Sin came into the world by the first man. And that first man represents all of humanity. All right. Very important to understand that. So that one man brought sin. And because of that one man's sin, everybody else is considered a sinner. Why? Because we came from his lineage. We came from his line. Anyone who came, you know, through that man bears or carries the corruption that that man had by the sin he committed. And so that's what this is saying. Sin entered through the world and death came through sin. God told him, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. Guess what? God was right. He died. And everyone that came after him has been dying. In fact, I don't know. It's almost like clockwork now. When your grandfather is like 95, everybody's already looking at, you know, where's the coffin? You know, have you found the right coffin? How can we contribute money? Because you know, like, this person is not going to live. If you now... <laughs> If he now goes like 102, 103, he now start getting stressed that, ah, what's happening? Because it's just the way life is designed right now. Because of the fall of man, we expect death. And that death came as a result of sin. And thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. So not only were we, you know, recept receptors, involuntary receptors of sin, we still commit sin that proves that we have that sinful nature. You see that? So you have to understand what he's saying. He's saying, by birth, oh, you have that corrupt nature. But your, your being alive ends up proving that fact. Have you seen a three-year-old child, or even less than a three-year-old child, they say waka to you, thing like this, waka. Or you just see a small child, and from they've not taught them how to steal or to lie, but they're already lying. Where do you think he came from? It's a lineage problem. <laughs> it's the sin problem. Everyone is born into sin. He says, and then and then he says in verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, and even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Uh, this is big stuff. Who is a type of him? 
who was to come. So now Paul is about to show us another typology that there's one Adam which brought sin into the world, but there's another Adam. And that's why I said Adam, because Adam represents mankind. There is the first mankind that brought sin into the world, but that is just a type of the second Adam that is going to come. Who is the second Adam? Jesus. Very good. Awesome. So you guys are still. Please, I hope I didn't lose anyone. We're already rounding up here. We'll probably not finish um, chapter five today, but I don't want to rush. I've always said that. We can, actually. We can, we can, we can. Let's do this. We can. It's not much. All right. So notice he says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. What is he talking about? From the first man to the giving of the law. Even though the law had not come, death was still taking place. Sin was still taking place, right? All of this was still happening. But he says, even though they did not sin according to the likeness of Adam's own transgression, death came over everyone. But look at what he says. The free gift is not like the offense. Hallelujah. So this is powerful. He says, just the same way from Adam to Moses, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though people who had not sinned according to it were partakers of that. He says, the free gift is not like the offense. And he tells you how. He says, for if by the one man's offense, this one man, Adam, the first Adam, husband of Eve, many died. If by that offense, many died. He now says, the gift is not like the offense. How? The same word. Much more the grace of God. So he's comparing, this is really bad. What Adam did is bad and that's caused a lot of problems. But what the second Adam has done has brought about so much glory. So that's the comparison he's, he's giving here. So he says, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. So he's telling us who that second Adam is. Abounded to many. So powerful. And look at, as we go on, he says, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. So it's not like the, the sin that, you know, the gift is not at the same level of the sin that came through Adam. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Uh, who sees the play of words there? Paul uses something very crafty or very, 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 very intelligent. He's very smart. He says, he's trying to show that comparison. He says, judgment came from one offense, right? Adam, the Bible only makes it clear that he ate of the fruit and that was it, right? That's all we know. So one offense. But he says, the free gift came from many offenses. That's mind-blowing. So it's like, in spite of all the offenses, the grace of God over, just, just over, over, what's the word? It goes over all of that. So he's saying, if by one man's offense, just one offense brought condemnation, the free gift of God that came from many resulted in justification. And then he goes on with that same analogy. So I'll rush through this because he's saying the same thing in different ways. He says, for if by the one, man, one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who, who receive two things, abundance of grace, which is what we received in Christ, right? God showed his grace and his mercy to us in forgiving us from our sins because of what Jesus did. And not only that, he says, and of the gift of righteousness. So God also imputes righteousness to us. This is him just summarizing 
everything he has taught. He says he will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What does it mean to reign in life? People may not get it, but let me rephrase it. We'll reign in this life. Which life? The life of righteousness. The life that God has given them. So it's not just talking about, oh, you reign, you become like president or governor. No. This is talking about you're reigning in a quality of life. You're going to live in a life that belongs to those who are righteous. It's given to you as a gift. And then he says, therefore, as one, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. I want to answer a question um, before we round up, because this question is probably in someone's mind, and it's going to be in this last part. For as, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also, notice there's that contrast. You can see that contrast. How many of you have seen that contrast? He has been doing this from the beginning. One man's disobedience brings sin and death. One man's obedience brings life and righteousness, right? That's the contrast. So someone might ask, okay, why aren't everyone, or why isn't everyone saved? Why isn't everyone made righteous? After all, and I also want to answer this question. This is the last thing we'll discuss because we actually finished chapter five. I'm so thankful. But who gets why I'm asking this question? Someone might think on one hand, the old test, um, the one man's disobedience made everyone sinners. So why? And everyone was in Adam, right? Everyone was born from Adam. So why doesn't the sacrifice of Jesus just cover everybody? So who wants to answer that question? Um. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Just like what you said, I'm just going to refer to something that you said earlier during the teaching. You said faith can um, faith can only get you something that God has provided by you. So. Um, why can't we? Why can't we? Like, why, why can't everybody just get saved the way everybody got? Everybody partook in um, death from Adam. Number mm-hmm. one, we are not direct offsprings of Jesus Christ, right? So we can't, we can't, we can't partake like that. We are direct offsprings of Adam, but not okay. Um, Mimi says she doesn't understand the question. So the way. You know, we didn't do anything before um, before we became sinners, before we had the nature right. of sin. We inherited the nature of sin from Adam. Why can't everybody just inherit the nature of righteousness from mm. Jesus like right. that? That's what the question is. Yeah, so we were not, we are not direct offsprings of Jesus Christ. We are direct offsprings of mm. Adam, right? So that's why, and for us to be able to partake, people, the people, people that will be able to get um, this thing, get the nature of Jesus Christ directly that are people that Jesus Christ gave birth and we know that Jesus Enough Christ does not children. have any right so um the only way we can we can partake in it is to have faith right mm-hmm. and it's been made available for all but everybody you can't just like it's not automatic you have to like what Enes said God doesn't force it you have to you have to for you to partake mm. I love that thank you I hope that answered the question so just to just to summarize it Adam, the reason we got sin from Adam was because we were born biologically in that lineage. God did not create other human beings. God created one human that gave life to every one of us that exists today. So you can trace our lineage back to Adam. Adam is our forefather. But we can't trace any lineage to Jesus. In fact, it's so peculiar that Jesus has to be born of a virgin. He, he has to be distinct 
from everyone so that there's no lineage traced to him that they have to when they are tracing the lineage it has to be mary and they have to call him the son of mary and then ultimately call him the son of god so he doesn't have children so we, it cannot be equal you cannot say the way we received the nature of sin is the same way we received nature of righteousness because the way we received sin was we were born in that lineage the way we received righteousness nobody was born of jesus right so how does it work? It's an operation of the Spirit. How? By faith. So that's all Paul has been teaching. How we are connected to Adam is by blood. How we are connected to Jesus is by faith. So faith is our bloodline. Does that make sense? So that's why it's not automatic for everyone that lives on the earth. The only people who are declared righteous are those who have faith. Because faith is what connects us. Faith is what made us children of Abraham. Right? Romans 4. So faith is also what makes us children of God. Does that make sense? Does he answer the question? Look at this text, John chapter 1 from verse 12 to 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave right to become children of God. Who, those who what? Believe in his name. Who were born, not of blood. So we're not talking of lineage now. Of the will of the flesh of man, but of God. So how are you born of God? Those who believe in his name. Get it? Make sense? All right, so I think we're good to stop. Let me just be sure that we read the last verse of Romans because when you come to more, um, next week Friday and you study Romans 6 together, you're going to have that question. And this is what leads to that question. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So grace is greater than sin. That's what he's saying. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Powerful stuff. Hallelujah. Let's just pray real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you because we reign in life. We receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And thank you because we belong to you. You have peace towards us. There is no guilt in life, no fear in death. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we appreciate you. I pray these words will resound in our hearts. We'll live by them and they will rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.